Sunday school right here. Here with Batty at the school. And it's Sunday. I ended up watching like a hundred straight videos of barstool sports. <laughs> Which is this insanely popular video series where the guy goes and he eats a slice of pizza. He takes a few bites of pizza all around the country and then rates it. Very famous. I mean, I feel like most people have probably heard of it. But there's so many things like that. That's the thing that's crazy is... I had heard of it in passing a while back. And you don't even realize how popular and influential that stuff is. Where this guy makes five-minute YouTube videos. And he's recognized everywhere he goes. When he makes these videos, people are screaming out their cars at him. And I know he got a lot of attention a while back. For, uh, I don't know what it was. I don't know if he was like a Trumpsfeld supporter or something. Or something to that effect. Basically, he has opinions that go against the grain. Nothing that controversial. But just... Even just having opinions that mildly go against the grain will get you negative attention. But watching all these videos is crazy because it's mesmerizing. Mesmer mesmerizing. It's mesmerizing because you realize that that's what a lot of people do. Like a lot of people watch. I mean, myself, like I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and listen to podcasts. And they're all, you know, usually if it's not an hour, I don't even put it on. Because I'm not looking to be active. I'm looking just to have background sound for doing other things. And if I'm particularly engaged in it, well, that's cool. But the idea of like these snippets, like five to ten minute long videos where you're constantly having to click on the next one is totally foreign to me. But it's the norm. That's what people watch. But watching these videos, I ended up watching so damn many because it is addictive. You can see that that's what people get locked into. That's what a lot of people do on their phones or on their computers at night is they just watch a hundred five-minute long videos. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just it's totally different. It's totally foreign to me at this point. But the power and influence that this guy has was the most significant thing I noticed. And that a lot of that seems to have happened during pandemonium lockdown where he went out of his way I think he did some sort of fundraiser and donated it to small businesses to pizzerias and he these these pizzerias if you watch the videos from 2021 the way they talk about this guy or the way they treat this guy when he goes into these pizzerias it's like the second coming of Jesus and the pressure that's on him because you have examples like where like he went to one business and they were marketing themselves based on him, like before he had even been there. Like it makes sense that given how well known he is and how much business a company is going to get if he visits your pizzeria and reviews it, and especially gives it a favorable rating. But there was one place where like they, it was some pizza company that also sold frozen pizzas and the owner had shipped the guy, the Barstool Sports guy, a bunch of frozen pizzas. And because of that, they incorporated the Barstool Sports logo into their t-shirts and into their marketing. So he hadn't even been there. And the company was basing its marketing off of this 
fleeting interaction they had with the guy because they sold him frozen pizzas. And, you know, you really see a different side of people that I don't see a lot. Like, yeah, I, I see normal people everywhere I go. Like, I mean, I live a very quiet life and I see normal people everywhere. I mean, that's what people are. But when you see these people who just work for a family business just hinged on this YouTube guy. Like he like one thing I noticed is that because what he does is he goes into a pizzeria, he orders a full pizza, he walks out, they film him walking out of the pizzeria with uh, the box of pizza, and then he kind of does a little preamble and then he takes a bite, takes a few bites. But crowds of people, like you, in pretty much every video, you'll see people filming him. You'll see people, like the employees, will go stand outside and they'll they'll have their phones held up. Random passerby's on the street, they'll they know who he is, so they'll hold their phones up. So while he's making his video, other people are other people are making videos of him making a video and taking photos, yelling things. And it's, it's just wild. And what's really awkward, though, is, you know, he'll he'll give the pizza a rating. And, he, you know, he, he has a very, like, idiosyncratic system. Like, he loves thin crust pizza, cheese thin crust pizza, and he has very specific taste. Like, he's not looking for the most gourmet pizza. He's looking for something that satisfies his specific taste. And, uh, as a result, like, he'll, if he, if it's just not in his taste, he'll give something like a mediocre rating, but his ratings are where it's like a 7.5 is a really good pizza, an 8.4, and, it, and it's all based on that point, like, it's all, it has the decimals, but an 8.4 pizza is considered exceptional, and the highest he'll go is like 9.3, 9.4. And that's, that's like the best of the best. He won't give things tens. And he's, he's against giving things tens. But uh, the owners will, will be standing there watching him. And there was one that I was watching where he went to this pizzeria. And when they find out that it's him, because sometimes he'll just show up. You know, he doesn't announce that he's coming. Because he just has a guy with like a, like a phone. He just has a guy with a phone filming him, so it's not like there's any real production. It's just him and a guy with a phone, and they go places, and they they prefer to just go unannounced and just order pizza like a the average person would. But when somebody sees when the pizzeria sees that it's him now, they'll redo the pizza. Like the owner will have them redo it, and because they know that he likes he likes like overcooked sturdy pizza he likes th thin crust that's uh, a little bit charred and so they'll do that just for him even if it's not what they normally do they'll like try to accommodate his taste to get a good rating so it ruins the whole point like when they try to make the the pizza specific to his taste to get a good rating it, it ruins the whole point of just going into the pizzeria and giving them an honest review but there was one where they did that, and then they, uh, like, the owner had a whole, like, American Idol sob story. 
He's like, today's the day my dad died 20 years ago. It's just a sign that you decided to come here today. And, uh, oh yeah, we, and then he's finding too that when he goes to these places, they'll have a pizza named for him. Like he'll go to a pizzeria and they'll have like the bar stool pizza. And like I mentioned a minute ago, like that one place, like they were even incorporating Barstool into their logo, into their marketing before he'd even been there. But this, it, it was really rough because the one where they, they tailored the pizza to his taste and he gave it like a seven, I think like an upper seven, like 7.8 or something. But you can tell, and I mean, he, and his whole persona is that he kind of acts like a dick you know, he, he doesn't, he's not touchy-feely, he's not sentimental. He's interested in the story of the pizzeria, and he's done a lot to support these people. But, you know, his popularity comes from the fact that he's just kind of flippant. And because he does this a lot on the East Coast, it works. But uh, it was rough watching this one, because it's like a 7.8 or whatever he gave this is a high rating. But it's not an 8. And you have to remember, too, it's not like a, a school grading system where, like, 70% is considered bad, a C-. minus. Like, in this guy's rating system, a 7 is well above average. And he specifically tries to go to pizzerias that have a reputation for good pizza. So he ends up giving a lot of 7-point-whatever. But, you know, obviously getting an 8 is kind of a milestone... And so he went to this place where they were they were like, we have a pizza named after you, and we have, uh, today's the day my dad died 20 years ago. Like, uh, all this stuff. There was even more to it than that. And he felt terrible. You could tell he felt terrible because he just couldn't give it an eight. He, he felt, and, and it's, it was clear, too, that he was even being generous, giving it a 7.8. He gave it a 7.8, you could tell, because he kind of felt bad. But I started to notice that, like, the, the further you go into newer ones, especially during and after the pandemic, so many of them have been tainted by his fame. Where, like, they know who he is. They try to game the system by making a pizza that's specific to his taste. They, they fawn all over him. Like, one of the best ones I saw was... He went to this hole in the wall in New Jersey that has a reputation for the best pizza in town. And the owners had no idea who he was. It was like this 75-year-old brother and sister. And the lady, the sister, like she had no clue who he was. And she was, she was really like ultra East Coast rude to him. And then uh, like some customer who'd been going there his whole life, like explained to them who he was and how important it was. But that was the best because I had just seen a bunch where it was like just people who were totally catering to him. People who, uh, you know, it's just, it's just not as fun. You know, and it's got to be humbling for him to see people, you know, fawn over him and, and stuff like that. Batty, stay with me, buddy. Now, it, it's got to be, uh, you know, totally humbling. You know, stay with me, buddy. It's got to be totally humbling when he goes to these places and these people have oriented their entire lives around him. And like they say, like if he even goes to a place at all, even if he gives it like a fairly average rating by his standards, that place does significantly more business. 
And a lot of these places were saying like he saved them during the pandemic, not just because he was donating money, but just because he was willing to go to these places and try their pizza and give a review and recommend them. So he's really done a great thing for these business owners. But I don't know, it, just, it blows my mind. I don't even know if I have the words for it. When you see like all the employees, all the family members, like when he shows up, they call their family, they call everybody and they all come and they're holding their phones out and they're asking for selfies. I mean, being a celebrity, you know, I don't, I've thought about this before a number of times. Like if you were a celebrity and people fawned over you and worshiped you and, and saw you as the second coming I don't know how you could ever get stoned again. <laughs> like, you know, just thinking about that. I mean, I feel like it's bad enough if someone just compliments you and you get stoned because then you're just like, oh my God, like who, this person has the wrong idea about me. You know, it's hard enough just to deal with a normal everyday compliment from somebody. It's humbling enough. But I can't imagine being a celebrity where you take a hit of weed and, and five minutes go by, it kicks in. And you're thinking about the fact that everywhere you go, people are falling to their knees. And I was, th when I was watching it too, I was thinking about it, you know, it was almost biblical or mythological or something where like this, this great man who has helped everybody and he, he travels the world, he travels the country eating pizza. And like when you read about food, it's like reading about mana in the Bible or something. Like when you read about food that's either don't know what it is or it's, you know, it's from a different culture or has some symbolic significance. Or maybe it doesn't have some symbolic significance, but the way that that food is presented in a story makes it seem... Like something more than just something people casually eat. When it might well have been totally normal. And so like 200 years from now, I'm just imagining this guy. People telling stories about this guy where they're like, oh, he goes here. He goes to different places and he eats a bite of pizza. Because it is very ritualistic. When you watch it, he often says the same things. There's a very specific process to the way he does it. And uh, you can imagine stories being told about this. If in 200 years people barely know what pizza is, you can just imagine the way they would talk about a guy like this. Like he traveled the world eating this thing called pizza. He would arrive and he would save people. He would help them. And they would fall to their knees. They would make sure that he had the best pizza they had to offer. It's rough, though, because, you know, when you see the pressure that's on him and he's, he's resistant to giving in to the pressure, because, I mean, what made his show popular is the fact that he gives honest reviews. Like, he's willing to go to a place that everybody loves and say it's about average. But you can see where just how much these people rely on him. And, you know, when, when he gives a, a positive review, they're going to market that. They're going to say, Barstool, Barstool Sports gave us an 8.1. Gave us a 9.3. It's going to be a difference maker. 
And some people are up for that job. You know, some guy, some human beings out there, they're up for that. They are up for people. I mean, I think about that sometimes with some of these personalities who have gotten famous. I mean, I know Jordan Peterson's talked about that when he was at his peak, when he was the, the new force on the scene. And, you know, he weeps a lot. He cries a lot to begin with. But he would be telling these stories about fathers and sons and random people approaching him and just, you know, thanking him and telling him everything he did. And his response is about what I would expect to feel. You know, a guy like that, just feeling like totally at the mercy of life, having people come to you and, and just fawn all over you and treat you like a savior, like you changed their life. You did something that nobody else could do. That, uh, I mean, it seems like it would be too much to bear. It seems like it would be too much to handle. Even while sober. But you get stoned and, you know, you, the, the, the places your brain goes when you're stoned. Even in even totally normal situations. I just can't even imagine being a celebrity who smokes weed. <laughs> Took Batty home and oh, I trip. <laughs> Took Batty home and I trip. It's a good thing he's not with me. If I if I like slip on a leaf, not even fall down, but just if I just stumble, he shrieks. Terrifies him. But no, you know, walking by myself, have a few more thoughts on barstool sports. <laughs> so much to think about with mindless online programming. But uh, one thing I noticed too, with the more recent episodes from the last year or so, is, you know, as I mentioned, like he he just shows up at places. It's not like diners, drive-ins, or whatever it's called. It's not like Guy Fieri or uh, Gordon Ramsay, where they plan this whole production in advance. It's not like they schedule a meeting with the owners and the business. They just show up for the most part. And because of that, though, these places don't know when he's coming or if he's coming. And that's created a whole sort of messiah complex unto itself, where I noticed with a bunch of these places that he goes to now, he'll go there and the owner is like, he's here, he's here. And they're like, we, we've been talking, you know, some of the people here, they've been saying like, when is he going to come? When is he going to come? We heard that he was the, in the next town over. We heard that he visited this place down the street. He's going to come. Don't worry. He's going to come. Like, so they, they <laughs> like the dialogue within the, these businesses is sort of like they're, they're awaiting the Messiah and they, they just have faith that he's going to show up because there's no other way to know because he doesn't schedule it because he doesn't plan this in advance he just goes the people who work there the people who own it have this dialogue between themselves and it, you got this strong feeling of faith where some people have this anxiety like when is he going to arrive? When is he coming? 
and someone just says, he's going to come, don't worry. Oh, we heard rumors that he, we heard rumors that he visited Mario's <laughs> in the next town over. He's going to come here. And one thing they say too that really stood out to me, because at no point have I ever doubted the popularity of pizza. I've never, it's never even crossed my mind that pizza needed any kind of kick. That it needed any kind of press. I mean, most of the advertising you see is pizza, even just bad pizza, frozen pizza, delivery. I mean, I would say pizza is one of the most heavily promoted items in the entire country, if not world. It doesn't seem to be lacking any marketing, and it's because it's great. You know, I, I rarely, rarely have it, but I, I'll never denounce it. And not even just businesses being promoted, but, you know, it became popular some years back to have, like, pizza merch. Like, I had a girlfriend who would just draw pizza. Her friends would just have t-shirts that have, like a, like, a slice of pizza on them. And it's kind of like a weird punch, a punchline to a joke that doesn't exist. That's something I started to notice some years back among my generation, where people just say pizza with no context. Just out of context references to pizza became very popular. And you even started to see those shirts where it's just like the entire print is a pepperoni pizza. It's like the texture of a pepperoni pizza. And it's lighthearted and stuff. And I mean, honestly, it's not my kind of humor. <laughs> it's not my kind of humor. It's not my my thing. Pizza merch isn't my thing. But uh, so I never really doubted. I mean, it's it's being promoted constantly. People order it constantly. Even people who already have a place they like will go get shitty pizza just for something different. Or if there's a new pizza place, families. Couples, lone individuals, loners, they'll just be like, oh, a new pizza place, I better check it out. Better see what this is all about. They don't just choose one place they like. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because I, I noticed with a lot of these pizzerias, they talk about just how many more people are eating pizza because of these videos, because of Barstool Sports. They're all like, you've done so much to spread the word. To promote pizza. You've done so much for our industry. And I'm like, I guess I didn't realize. I, I mean, I guess I didn't realize that they hadn't hit the ceiling yet. <laughs> I didn't realize there was still room. And I did, I did find that when I was watching it, you know, you of course want pizza. So I think there's a lot of people who watch these videos one after the other of this guy eating pizza. And it's really weird to just watch somebody eat he makes these facial expressions and he, he, he does these movements. Again, it's very ritualistic. He has this, these set, set patterns. But you can imagine like the, the number of people who watch these and because they're watching a man eat good pizza, they call for pizza or go get it. You know, so I'm sure it's done. A, I'm sure if you were to map out the statistics, if you were to map out the data, you'd probably find that tons of people 
are ordering pizza because they're watching this guy eat pizza. I even found myself wanting it. I'm pretty good about that kind of thing. I can watch somebody do that. Like I can watch somebody eat a pizza and not, not feel that hunger, not feel that you know, internal pressure to eat what that guy's eating. But uh, even I felt like watching this, I was like, oh yeah, you know, that does look good. Does make me wish I had some. I had a bag of popcorn and I, I put sriracha on it. And that was really, you know, that's one of my treats these days is popcorn with, you know, a, uh, a little bit of sriracha on it shake the bag up but normally that's you know extraordinary normally eating popcorn with some sriracha on it is just extraordinary to me it's a treat but when i was eating it i was like this is really lackluster because because i thought like the combination i thought the combination of sriracha like a red sauce and popcorn a treat I thought that combination was going to taste like pizza because it, it's the same colors. But I found that when I was actually eating it, I was like, this isn't pizza, is it? But I'm sure it's done a huge... I'm sure this, the amount of business that local pizzerias get just from people who are sitting there binge-watching a guy eat pizza is probably incredible. But, you know, I believe those pizzeria owners who have said this guy's done a lot for the industry because i mean obviously individual pizzerias can struggle not all of them are popular you know obviously even a, a business who has a good product isn't necessarily going to be successful but hearing the level of influence this guy's had on the business i'm just like i, I guess i didn't realize that it needed any, any more attention than it was already getting i thought that it was already pretty much at its ceiling I mean, even tiny towns in the middle of nowhere have their own pizzeria. Not to mention a pizza hut. So I guess I just didn't think about it needing any more support. And what's weird about it too, though, is you watch it and you notice that... Uh, he, I mean, he always gets just, you know, a cheese pizza with thin crust... And so he's not experimenting, he's not trying different things. But you're interested in that. And, and you, you kind of take on his taste in a way. Like you start evaluating the pizzas that he shows, because he'll show you a picture of it, he'll hold it up to the camera before he eats it. And you start kind of evaluating it and guessing how he's going to evaluate it. And I was reading the comments, which I like to do. Whenever I look at something like that, I'm always curious what the people say. I like to kind of try to predict what they're going to say. I <laughs> see like where people will they'll they'll be hard on him. They're they're big fans of him. But they'll be hard on him where they'll be like You already ate ten slices today and you were clearly in a bad mood. That's why you gave it a seven four. Well you let it get cold and that's why you gave it a seven four. If you had eaten it hot, you would have given it an eight point one. Like they, they second guess his ratings and they get mad. Because the thing is it shows you that people, though, have a strong sense of goodwill. For as shitty as a lot of people are, I notice with the comments that, like, people want him to give these places higher ratings. Like, they like the idea of him giving a, a pizzeria an 8.1, 9.1, 10.1. 
and you know saving their business like people like that story of him giving a high rating and helping the company helping the family and i noticed this a lot of people say this this seems to be just something people say in general about anything but i notice on the ones where he gives it an extraordinarily high review like a 9.3 or 9.1 which is rare for him i noticed in the comments there's always somebody who says did anybody else get chills did anybody else get chills when he said 9.1? Oh, I got chills when he said 9.1. So these fans are sitting there watching a man take a few bites of a pizza slice and they're getting chills. But you know what? Him giving a, a pizzeria a 9.1 rating, that's immediately going to become the most popular pizzeria in the area. That's the power this guy has. If he gives a pizzeria a 9.1 or a 9.3 rating, that's immediately going to become a tourist attraction. I mean, he went to this place in New York, and uh, it was just some, you know, these, these are often multi-generational pizzerias. But he went to the place in New York because another pizzeria told, like another pizzeria owner that he liked, told him that this other place was actually the best pizza. And you, you pick up on that, too, where these pizzeria owners have their own inside scoop. They have their own favorites. They're part of the same club. But they told him about this hole-in-the-wall pizzeria, and he went there, and it was, as far as I know, his favorite place. As far as I know, this pizzeria in Brooklyn that he went to, it's the most favorable I've seen him do. I want to say he gave it a 9.4. See, I'm in it. I'm in it. <laughs> I'm, I'm in it now, too. You start think, and also you start thinking in terms of his ratings. Because, like I was saying earlier, when I was walking Batty, you know, you think of a seven, you think of anything less than an eight on a rating scale as mediocre. That's kind of the way our view of things has been shaped. Like when I was in school, if I got less than eighty percent, even eighty percent, I, I wasn't happy. There were some classes where that was good. Like if I got 80% on a test in math, if I got a B minus in a math class or a C plus, I was happy. But if I got a B minus in English class, I was upset. And in general though, like 80% wasn't good to me. Or 80% was just good enough. Whereas if it was in the 70s, especially the lower mid 70s, I was not happy with myself completely average and the reason for that in school is because there's such a hard drop-off I never completely understood that where you know 90 to 100 is an A 80 to 90 is a B or 80 to 89 whatever it is you know 70 to 79 is a C 60 to 69 is a D I'm breaking it all down for you but then it's like this huge drop-off where everything else is a failure. More than half of potential outcomes are failure. Zero to 60%, zero to 59 is a failure. That is a huge drop-off. I never completely understood it. I mean, there's probably a, it probably applies to life. 
where like you have a 60% chance of failing. But still, you know, I always thought about that drop off where I'm like, man, like there's a lot of potential to fail. 60%, 60% failure rate. But that's really colored my entire view. Because that applies to the rating system too. Like if something gets rated 6 out of 10, I think, well, that sucks. 5 out of 10, you know, terrible. It's almost worse than 1 out of 10. But what I think is interesting is this guy's rating system. I think he's changed people's view of the rating system because in the sevens is a above average pizza. Like he's actually using the scale the, the way it was meant to be used. And even though you can watch him do that over and over again, your mind still has a hard time adjusting to it. But I've noticed that other people use that scale now. Where his scale, I think, has become the way everybody judges pizza. Which again goes to his influence. Like the fact that him saying 80% is an A grade. Because in his on his scale, if you get an eight, and, he, and of course it's 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 eccentric. It's like he'll never give something an eight. He'll give it an eight point one or an eight point four, eight point nine. He won't give it a, just an eight that I've seen. But uh, it's amazing the level of influence he's had. That his scale now, I believe, I bet there's just like there's tons of people out there who watch his show and order a pizza while they're watching it. I bet there's an unbelievable number of people who go to pizzerias now and tell their friends, 8.1. He's just, he's revolutionized the entire industry and I didn't even think it could be revolutionized. But to be fair with, with the idea of pizza, the idea of pizza, it didn't seem like there was a, a uniform way to talk about it. Like you would hear from people you know, you would hear from people who would say things like, Oh, go to this place. It's the best pizza in town, dude. Dude, we got the best pizza in town. You'd hear people say things like that, but it wasn't quantified. And so this guy's created this whole system of, of quantification that's very fascinating because, again, just this many people have watched him do it so many, like a thousand times, thousands of times, however many he's done. It's a lot. But then I was thinking also, I bet that he's made, I bet that he's, he's, he's no doubt been a tastemaker, not just in terms of recommending certain pizzerias, but he's very specific about what he wants, where he wants thin crust, coal-fired, no pepperoni, no decoration, cheese. He's very specific about the taste and the ratio and I would bet there's a lot of people out there who might have had preferences when it came to pizza. But they probably go and order exactly what he orders now. There's probably a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, you know, he's so, he, he's so passionate and highly specific about what he wants from a pizza. About the sort of pizza he eats. There's probably a ton of people out there who order exactly that. And they might not have cared before. But just 
you know, people's passion rubs up, rubs off on you. I mean, that could be a band, it could be music, it could be movies. That influences people immensely. Where, like, meeting somebody who has the right charisma and passion for a certain form of music can turn you into a fan of that. And uh, so it's true for food as well. What you think of is more direct. Like you think about somebody who's passionate about food as just pure taste buds, right? But no, that, that social contagion, there is a social component to everything. And if you watch a guy who's charismatic and eats a lot of pizza and expresses his highly specific taste, that's gonna rub off on people. You can see it in the way that it's rubbed off on the pizzerias, where a lot of these pizzerias now that he goes to already have a barstool pizza. They already have a pizza named for him. And it is designed based exactly on his ideal preference. So even the pizzerias themselves start producing that pizza, and that's because there's an audience for it. There's an audience for it. There are people who are going to go to pizzerias looking for the same thing that guy eats. They trust that. It blows your mind. And that, that plays into something going, you know, back to the, the Messiah idea. The way they talk about him, the way they treat him, is he's like a Messiah showing up. He's there to save them. He's there to bless them. They, they really do treat him that way, like he is blessing their pizzeria. And uh, it kind of gets into the idea of, of you know, like, like a niche messiah. That's kind of what he is, and it makes me realize that's a, a bigger thing that I... I've never acknowledged that before. It makes total sense that that exists. Like, you, you hear messiah, and you think, like that it's this broad role, you know, like Jesus Christ, you know, it, it's like, oh, a Messiah. It's somebody who's going to save humanity. It's somebody who has humanity's interests in mind. It's somebody who represents the Heavenly Father on Earth for the sake of all mankind. But no, there's also niche Messiahs. There's also these Messiahs where it's like, this guy is the Messiah of the contemporary modern pizza industry and nothing you can't argue against that it's just a fact it is just a fact that that's what he is and he's not even a pizza maker I think I was thinking about that because I've noticed that people show him their kitchen you know like, like they'll show him their oven they'll show him their process and things like that and I was like, this guy's not even a pizza maker. Obviously, he's interested and he's picked up a few things, but he's not a he's not from the industry. So you can be this niche messiah who's not even involved. It's like you know, it's like I guess it's like being a critic of any kind. And I appreciate those people though. You know, I appreciate critics who aren't producers of the thing that they are consuming. People always think that that's such a good thing. Like artists consuming art. 
But from my experience, it's not always a good thing. You know, there's a lot of artists who consume art, but it's all channeled through their ego. Where it's like, yeah, they might like, they might be passionate about other music, but they still have that competition. They still have, they're biased. And so the importance of critics, you know, just, we don't really have that anymore. I mean, obviously there are music journalists, but we don't really have people who are just dedicated to that without crossing over, without getting their feet wet in the actual trade. And I met some people before, and I always I always enjoy those people. Like, I had a friend, he listens to this sometimes, Nick G. And uh, what I always appreciated about my buddy Nick G, very passionate about music. You won't find anybody more passionate. He ran a record label for a little while, a very small record label in the 90s. But to my knowledge, was never involved in making or producing music but could talk to you in depth about details that even other musicians wouldn't have noticed. He had this much more objective take on it. And I always valued his feedback. I always valued his opinion a lot more than other people because he paid such close attention and he wasn't biased. Like whatever his opinion was on a band or style of music came from the perspective of a listener who cares. It didn't come from the perspective of somebody who, in the back of their mind even, is thinking about their own band or their own creativity or their own ego. There was no ego involved in it. Not that there can't be ego with being a listener or a fan. There's a lot of ego with that. But it's different. It wasn't... It's it's not based on, oh... uh, you know, oh, this is really good, I like this, but, you know, it makes me think of my own band, and I better do something better than this, or, oh, yeah, I don't really like it as much as my stuff, or my friends. It's just, it's a, a definitely a different perspective. And there are some creative scenes, I guess you could call them, where almost everybody is a creator. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I've always found it a little off-putting, because everybody has that juice Everybody's biased. Everybody's a little bit warped by that. And sometimes people think that's a good thing. Like, oh, you know, all of us who are selling our art at the fair are folk artists. Just a bunch of folk artists who all appreciate each other's work. I bet there's crazy rivalries and competition even among local folk artists. I know there is. So you can't really escape it. And, I mean, it goes back to the phrase, too many cooks in the kitchen. I mean, I think that applies perfectly to creativity. And it's often used when talking about creativity. Like when there's too many songwriters. Like a band that has too many songwriters. There's often ego problems. I go, well, I wanted to do my song. Because you have situations like Danzig and many others, but Danzig where... It's just readily understood that he's the boss. He's the songwriter. He, it's his show. It's named after him. And so there are situations like that where it's just understood. 
It's just understood that if you play in Danzig, you're going to do what Danzig wants. And you can quote me on that. But there are a lot of situations where somebody might be the primary songwriter, but other people have ideas. And there's this competition. And that creates so much resentment. We never play my songs. I was thinking that we play my song. We're always playing your songs. That's a common sentiment. So that, that's a good example of too many cooks in the kitchen. But then it also applies more broadly where even outside of like a an entity like a band, just having too many creative people involved in something, even if they're not collaborating, just having too many of them in the same space is too many cooks in the kitchen. There's not as much give and a take. While there's understanding and there's common ground in that, it's not like it's all bad, it also creates so many ego problems and it makes it difficult for people to be objective. <laughs> so, so a guy who reviews pizza, I think one of the reasons why this particular guy got so famous for it is because as far as I know, he's not a chef, he's not a cook. I don't know if he has any experience cooking anything at all. The whole platform is just, oh, here's this dude who likes sports, who eats pizza. He doesn't really have the language, you know, he doesn't, his language isn't very niche or specific. He's just kind of invented his own descriptions of things. But people like to see somebody like that experience something and give feedback. And it wouldn't work if it was anybody else, not just personality-wise, but it wouldn't work if it was somebody who owned a pizzeria. Maybe he probably owns one now. This guy's a businessman. I think he owns a restaurant now or something, but he's, he's not a guy who came from that. He's not a guy who, whose platform was ever based on the idea that that uh, he was a pizza man. A pizza man. So he's not a cook in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, and I'm, not a, I'm not a foodie. I've never been a foodie myself. I don't relate to that stuff at all. But it shows you too, I mean, I, I think about this stuff because you can't plan on the popularity of something. I think back about a boss I had many years ago who, uh, he was obsessed with the idea of making a viral video. It was when that phrase was new. It was right around the time that everybody learned the term viral video. YouTube was newly popular. And he was obsessed with the idea of making a viral video that would promote our company. And he spent an obscene amount of time coming up with ideas. And they all sucked. And they were guaranteed to fail if we had actually tried to, to implement them. And we tried to tactfully explain to him that you couldn't just do that. 
we tried to explain to him that the reason it's a viral video is because it's beyond anybody's grasp. Like, yeah, companies can manufacture that in some cases, but you can't just create a viral video. You know, you can't just create that. By having the intention of making a viral video, you're actually preventing it from becoming that. Because his idea, too, is that it would serve as an advertisement for the company. The second somebody sees that it's a com basically a commercial, well, that's going to negate the whole point. And that's what giant advertising firms are trying to do anyway with TV. What you're trying to do is inorganic. And it's what marketing companies are, are already trying to do in an inorganic way when they make TV advertisements. But it was hard to get that through his head. Because nobody liked wh wh where he was going with it. And he would try to do them on his own sometimes. Like the company had its own YouTube channel. And he would make little videos in his office. Like, like he had an R2-D2 toy. He was really into Star Wars. And he had an R2-D2 toy. And one day he made a video of it dancing. Like he, he had his hand, he was holding it in his hand. And he was making it dance to some song on his desk. And he recorded that and put it up on the YouTube channel. And you know, and it was silly. Like I'm not even I'm not even talking shit. Like, oh how dare he? Oh my god, this freaking asshole. Oh my god. Even though people kind of whispered that. It was embarrassing. It was it was it, you know, there was something very embarrassing about it, but it wasn't offensive or anything. But he would come up with other ideas, too. He would do that on his own. He, like I said, he was completely preoccupied with this idea. His big dream was to make a viral video. And he uh, would come up with ideas. Like, one of his ideas was a company talent show. Where he was like, we'll do it. Each, each person who works here will uh, do a different performance of something. And it was supposed to be goofy and stupid, but it's like one of those things where if this did become quote-unquote viral, it would be because it was so bad or embarrassing. And the other idea he had was, I think they called it a flash mob, a group of people who start dancing. And he would show us examples. So it wasn't just that he was trying to come up with, come up with ideas for this. He would also be constantly searching for examples to show us of what he wanted to do. He would be finding viral videos that he could share with us. And one of them was some sort of like professional quality video of, I think it was a guy proposing to a woman. I think it was a wedding proposal where he got her entire family and friends to do some synchronized dance. And, you know, it was, uh, I mean, the last, uh, the worst thing in the world to me, you know, it was, the, it was rough. And so he was, but he, he loved the idea of a flash mob and wanted the company to do that. You know, he really, he, he really liked this. And this just shows you how fundamentally different you can be from another human being. Because for me, he, he, he really liked videos of people dancing and he saw that as like the peak he used to, he, like, he, like, he showed us this video of these two guys. He was, like, these buff guys shirtless on a webcam, a webcam video. I want to say they were even wearing women's clothing or something. 
and they were lip-syncing to some song that you would never expect big buff guys to sing to. And I want to say it was in a foreign language. I want to say it was like an Asian or Spanish song. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was a famous video, apparently. I had never heard of it. But uh, he showed us that, and he was like, see, I want to do something like this. And he's like, you can just tell the, these guys are in such a flow state. He used that phrase, flow state. And he's like, they're just totally free to be themselves. And uh, everybody just silently watched it. Because he really liked that idea of a flash mob. And it says a lot, too, though, that it's like his inspiration... It wasn't just to, to capture some fleeting, unplanned moment. He was really into the idea of copying viral videos that already existed, which tells you exactly what's going to happen. You know, it wasn't just, oh, you know, hey, hey, look, this is happening, or hey, we, we captured this on video and it was unexpected, or, you know, there's something special about this. It was just like, hey, let's plan this out down to the letter and do exactly what they did. But it was impossible to get that through his head. Like you, because it's like you can't plan. I mean, you can put hard work in to make something successful. But if you're talking about things that become a phenomenon unto themselves, that's just capturing the right elements at the right time. And it happens. But it's like forcing magic to happen or something. I mean, that's actually exactly what it is. It's like someone who's focused way too hard. It's like trying to meditate too hard. It's like you're trying to meditate, but you're so tense. And your mind is just going, I, I gotta meditate, I gotta meditate. Meditation has to happen. It's not gonna work. You know, it's it, like the thing that you're trying to do isn't gonna happen. When you're making a viral video, and you're like, this has gotta go viral, it's gotta go viral. It's not gonna happen. And it plays into this thing with Barstool Sports, because you know, even though this guy's a businessman, he had some kind of platform already. He obviously knows what he's doing. It's also not something that anybody necessarily expected to be on the level it's on. And you can see that with other things that have gotten popular organically. Look at like Joe Rogan's podcast being the most popular podcast in the world for years. That was really unplanned. If you watched it way back when... You can see that they had no intentions of doing that, but that's exactly what lit the fire that made it popular. The fact that it was just off the cuff. It was originally very low quality. And that always gets me though, is one thing I've noticed with these barstool sports is they don't have a production team. They obviously have a high quality phone, some sort of high quality handheld camera. I think it's a phone though. And it's not professional. Like whoever's holding the, the phone or the camera knows what they're doing. They know like basic framing. They might even be somebody with a video background. I wouldn't be surprised if this guy hires somebody to do that specifically. But it's 
they haven't really changed the the basic approach even though it's kind of art if you watch the more recent ones it's kind of artificial because everybody knows who he is and that he's this messiah and that he can make or break their business and they'll incorporate him and his brand into their brand and try to market themselves based on that it's sort of like as seen on shark tank i like that show shark tank a lot and when you're watching shark tank you know one of the things you do is you look up the companies now if you're watching old ones you know you'll look those up and uh if you ever see the company advertised like if you type in the name of the company and if what comes up says like as seen on shark tank you can be almost guaranteed that it didn't succeed because the fact that they're promoting themselves the fact that you go to their website and in giant letters one of the first things you see is as seen on shark tank it tells you that oh yeah they probably didn't succeed because there are other things you find that did end up wildly successful and you don't even realize they were on Shark Tank. They've, been, they've become so popular, like you see them at the store. You know people who have them. And you wouldn't even know that it actually got its boost on Shark Tank because it's become so widespread and wildly successful. But, uh, so when you see as seen on Shark Tank, it's like, oh yeah, they, they are having to milk that. They're milking that. It doesn't have broad appeal. They're trying to appeal to the person who will be like, oh, I saw that on TV, huh? And I think it's the same with this Barstool Sports thing. Like, I noticed that the pizzerias that are milking their connection to him aren't the ones who are in the top 15%. They're not necessarily bad. But I've noticed that they're not the ones that he gives the highest ratings toward. They might be above average, but it's not, it, they're not the ones that he's dropping everything for. You know, I'm sure they, they take photos with him too. They probably you, use that on marketing materials. They probably say like, oh, Barstool Sports gave us 9.1. They probably say that too, but they're not relying on it. You know, they're not... Uh, they're not making their t-shirts with his face on them. They're, it's not a crutch to them, because it's a crutch when you do that. Because a company who's making the best of the best pizza, well, it's gonna give them business. It's gonna give them attention. If uh, the Barstool sports guy likes it and features them on an episode. But it's, it's really, you know, they're going to be able to rest on their product a lot more. And there was one that he visited, you know, I'm just going on here, but there was one that he visited and it was just all gimmick. Like they had already been, they'd already gone, speaking of viral video, this is why it's on my brain. He went to this pizzeria somewhere. And the guy's sons had gotten famous on the internet when they were little because they're really good at spinning pizzas. And they had been on Jimmy Fallon, which is just insane. Like Jimmy Fallon had these little kids come out and they just spun pizzas and they can like juggle with pizza dough and spin pizzas all around. 
And so this guy, you know, he uses that to market his pizzeria and it showed footage of the, the dining room in the pizzeria. And these, his sons who are now older, they're like teenagers now, they just walk around the dining room spinning pizzas. And I was just like, oh, this is rough. You know, this, this sort of circus gimmick performance, this is pretty rough. And uh, that, that, was, that wasn't even the whole of it. Like, the, the entirety of it was them promoting one thing after another. Like, oh, we won, we won the pizza bowl contest. Oh, you heard of the Super Bowl? We won, we won the pizza bowl against 40 other competitors. Here's our... They, they brought out their... Um, the cup. They brought out the trophy. It's like the Stanley Cup of, of pizzas or something, and they were showing that on camera. Which is always so funny, because I, I looked at the comments for that, too, and the audience doesn't like that. Whenever you sense that the company is using some sort of gimmick or marketing ploy or trying too hard to talk up their business, the audience doesn't like that. What the audience responds to are the stories about the family. They like it when it's like a third generation business. They like it when it's some hole in the wall with, with photos of the guy's grandpa on the wall. They, they don't like it when the company's milking the connection to barstool sports. They don't like it when the kids walk around the room tossing pizza dough around like circus animals, talking about how they were on Jimmy Fallon once. You know, it's just interesting that the audience, because it's inorganic. You know, it's inorganic, and the reality, too, is, is the promotion. The thing that's going to promote the business in the context of these episodes is simply the guy tasting it and giving his feedback and the owners appearing sincere like the one where the 75 year old brother and sister were just like who are you what are you doing here what are you coming inside what, what are you doing who are you you know that one people like that even though the people were kind of like new jersey rude to him you could tell he liked it too you, know, you could tell he liked it that the owners didn't know who he was and were kind of off-putting because it was organic. And he gave their pizza some insanely high rating. He gave it like a nine-something. And you can see, though, when the owner's hanging around, like where they're standing in the doorway or they come outside and they're standing next to him, you can see he doesn't like that. Because it makes the whole process inorganic. And so that's kind of the lesson from my old boss. <laughs> Is he was really dead set on this inorganic promotion. Like using an organic formula to promote what he wanted to do. And it's just like, huh. Huh. It's not gonna work. You, know, you can't dress up like a chicken and, and convince the rooster that you're the same as him, you know? 
<laughs> you know, you, you can't put on an animal costume and convince that animal that you're them. And that's kind of what it's like. It's like, oh, I, I noticed that, uh, you know, I noticed that w chickens accept other chickens. Chickens tend to congregate in the yard with other chickens. Maybe if I wear a chicken suit, the chickens will congregate around me. That's kind of what it's like when you try to use something organic, when you try to wear the suit of something organic to achieve an inorganic result or to get attention or publicity. You know, because people smell it. People are smart. This is what I always say is that people are, it's very easy to think of people as stupid. They're way smarter than we ever give them credit for. You know, people are very intuitive. And you can see that in something like these pizza videos where... This is the normal people stuff. This is as mainstream as you get. The people who watch this stuff are completely normal. They're bros. They're sorority girls. They're families. And I don't say any of that pejoratively. I'm just saying, they're people who are caught up in just the normalcy of life. And they love this shit. But you see how they respond to it. And you're like, oh yeah, they, they're picking up on the same thing I'm picking up on. Like when they sense something inorganic going on, it bothers them too. Even though these people are just the epitome of normalcy, and we have a tendency to think of those people as dumb or unaware, they're aware. It's why I always equate awareness with intelligence. Because you see how these people respond, you're like, oh yeah, they're aware. They're aware. They're aware. They're aware of what's going on too, just like I am. We also might say a bunch of dumb shit, but they're very aware. And that was always one of my favorite things in school. One of my favorite things in school <laughs> in school was uh Wait. Like when you'd be talking to a really normal girl, and I didn't have success with girls in school or anything like that, but you'd be talking to a really normal girl in class. You know, she's just wearing like flare jeans and an Abercrombie and Fitch shirt and like a, a puka shell necklace with bleached hair. And she'd let slip like some observation she had it was clearly not something that anybody told her. Like, there was a girl I went to school with who I used to talk to. I'm pretty sure I weirded her out at various points because I just didn't know what I was doing. But there was, I went to school with her my whole life. And she, she was very... She was popular and, like, played soccer and... Uh, you know, just did all the normal things, you know, did all the things you'd expect. But she was always great to talk to because she was very sharp and she didn't reveal that. It was something that you didn't necessarily know about her, but she was very observant. And if you'd actually talk to her, it was amazing what she paid attention to. It was amazing, like, what she knew. And that's the source of all good humor. You know, that's the source of, of my favorite humor is, you know, somebody's ability to detect things, to be aware of things, to notice little details. And, that, and so it always impressed me that this girl was able to do that. But it was a secret. It wasn't like she was the weird girl. 
It wasn't like she presented herself as that. She simply, she noticed when something was off. She noticed like little mannerisms. She noticed artificiality. I haven't talked to her in 20 years. But it obviously made an impact. I wasn't even in love with her or anything. It was just purely like, if you had a class with her, you knew that she was going to see the teacher do something and have some odd observation that was totally accurate. And I appreciated that. And that's something women are very good at, actually, is that they, they're very observant. They notice all kinds of things that you would never expect. And if you're hanging out with like a girl, you know if it's going to work or not. If you like go to a restaurant and you see what she observes. And, and women are also very good at inside jokes. Observational inside jokes. It's, you know, people say women aren't funny because they're not as good with the punchlines and the sort of aggressive outward humor, which I think is true. It's not, it's, and I don't think it's conditioning. I, I just think it's, it's just not their strength. Not to say no, none of them can do it. I'm just saying it's in general. My experience is from all types of women is it's not necessarily their strength. However, that sort of observational humor, that, that, that ability to notice things, that's where the actual strength is. Had to be observant here myself. Couple guys up to no good. Couple guys up to no good. And then a, a police siren starts immediately afterward on the same road. Let's see what they're up to. A little observation here. What's this cop doing? It's the party buster. It's the SUV cop party buster. But anyway, that's, that's something I noticed too with like, you know, cause I mean, I feel, part of me feels like a complete idiot watching a hundred five minute videos of barstool sports. I'm like, this, I'm not the audience for this, but I do like like looking at comments and, and seeing what people respond to and being like, oh shit, like they're noticing the same things I'm noticing. You know, it's those little details. We go, okay, yeah. You know, people aren't dumb. A lot of people are very observant. And that's the reason why people don't respond favorably to things that feel inorganic. If it feels inorganic, they're not gonna like it. It's not gonna pick up any kind of natural momentum. Because you can't plan those things. You, you, can, you can never plan for something to just pick up that kind of momentum and take off. This land is
Take my 